Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, the podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. And I am in awe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, just a refresher for anyone who didn't catch our last episode on the remake of The Wicker Man. For the month of April, we are covering horror films starring Nick Cage. So, um, last week, we really went some places with the Wicker Man. Some places that none of us wanted to go. Uh, but this week, we are watching a film that, like, I would 100% unironically say is good. Like, this is a freaking good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's very I, good. I it's love a great this movie. Film very, very much. I bought a fucking streaming service for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we watched Mandy. Uh, Mandy is a 2018... How would you describe... I guess I would describe it as um, the personification of a heavy metal album. <laughs> like, just yeah. the the art style, um, the lighting. Yeah. I don't know. It just strikes me as like, yep, this is what I imagine, like, the world of the cover art of heavy metal album would be like to live in. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. It's directed by, and I'm so sorry if I butcher this, um, and written by Panos Cosmatos. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. It's, it's what was, I'm trying to remember what the shutter description for it was, because it was pretty accurate it's very surreal it's it's very much about the aesthetics and the visuals um and the emotions of it as opposed to the plot i would describe the plot as very basic yeah it's a Mm -hmm. revenge thriller but the the thing the word that kept coming to my mind was texture Mm. this film has so much texture in the way it presents scenes and images and it's just it's like walking through an art gallery there's just so much beauty in this film. Yeah. And I don't know if it goes to a quote-unquote deep place with the story, like, but it goes to a deep place in the way it presents images and aesthetics and the way it... It is a movie that is... I don't think it could exist in any other art form. Yeah. Like, it is very much the personification of a heavy metal vibe, but also, like... It doesn't feel like it should be something else. It is 100% what um, a film, and it is using every single tool at its disposal to convey the emotions of the story and of the the director and their vision and emotions with with filmmaking. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, it's rare to see a film like this where all of the elements just come together so perfectly for to create like this experience. Um, but it's really neat. I really like that, that everything just kind of clicks into place and um, really creates, like, this really this really strong atmosphere. Yeah. Can I also just say, I don't know about anyone else, and everyone's experience is valid and different. I would recommend actually going into this film knowing as little as possible other than Nick Cage is in this horror movie and he gives a good performance. Yeah. And not, like, funny, like, meme good. Like... This is legitimately genuinely an good yeah. performance mm-hmm. that could not be done by anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Give this man a fucking Oscar. Has he won an Oscar? I think he's won one. I think I, he might I, have. I know he's been nominated several times. I feel like it was for something. I don't remember what he won an Oscar for, but it was like Leaving Las Vegas and adapt. He was nominated for adaptation. I've seen adaptation. I haven't seen Leaving Las Vegas, but I hear he plays an alcoholic who's trying to drink himself to death. Wow, so that seems like very Oscar uh, baby. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But this film isn't also worth it just for Nick Cage. It's just he belongs in this film. Yeah, yeah. along with everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. The, um, I, the severe emotion that he portrays in most of his roles fits really well with the universe of this movie. Mm-hmm. I agree with Hannah, though. I would recommend, like, going in blind. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, if you haven't given this movie a watch yet, maybe like pause our podcast and take a take a while to watch it. It's on Shutter, which you can get a free trial of and use that if there's just like a couple movies you want to watch. But I personally mm-hmm. have a Shutter subscription and I love it. There's a ton of horror movies on there and it's relatively inexpensive, especially compared to like Netflix and Disney and whatever. So um, yeah, it's that's it's my well that's my plug the... for Shutter. We're not paid to advertise them. Yeah, we're not paid to advertise them, but we could be. (laughs) Wait, we're also not paid to advertise Netflix, but like that's true. They should. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to do. um, We have a series on our Patreon uh, where we go through horror shows. I would love to do Boulay Brothers Dragula sometimes because they (gasps) just got picked up by Shudder. Oh my gosh! Which honestly, there is no better fit. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this movie. (laughs) Yeah. So if you haven't seen Mandy, I, I. highly recommend watching it mm-hmm. it's like right right off the bat we're recommending it like you yeah you, we don't have to wait till the end like <laughs> yeah um this is like my fourth or fifth time watching it and like every time i watch it i like come across something new in it and like yeah me too it's so Absolutely. good oh my god there's so much care put into every single damn detail in this film mm-hmm. yeah um, so I'll give, like, a really brief summary. I don't really want to go too much into, like, a step-by-step of what happens in the plot. No, partially because, like, at a certain point in the film, I just kind of lose track and get yeah. so caught up in the experience, like, that it's honestly difficult for me to recount, like, exactly what happens in this movie because I'm just so much more invested in, like, the emotions of it. Um, but the basic mm-hmm. plot... And I think that's what it's designed to do. Yeah. yeah. But the basic plot follows um, Nicolas Cage, whose character's name is Red, and his girlfriend Mandy. They live out in this cabin in the woods um, in a very like rural area up in the Pacific Northwest, I think. And um, he works as a logger and she works at a gas station. And they just have this really nice beautiful little life together. Like mm-hmm. We just get all these scenes of them like cuddling and talking about like what's your favorite planet and just like mm-hmm. what are your dreams yeah what was your childhood and just he just walks in and he tells her a very silly knock knock joke and they just they fold into each other and they both Eric Estrada from Chips <laughs> it gets me every just, time every time I think about it it makes me laugh <laughs> it does knock knock <laughs> Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada, who? Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> it's, it's just like it's so. It's, it's so just, good. It's deadpan, nonsensical yeah, humor. It's so funny. Yeah, I they just fit together so well because mm-hmm. I think with Nicolas Cage, it can be very hard to uh, act opposite him in terms of romance because. Mm-hmm. He's just such an odd duck, and I mean that in the most complimentary of ways. So, like, when you pair him off with, like, a very kind of typical Hollywood beautiful star, it just feels weird. Mm -hmm. But, like, this woman, she has this ethereal vibe to her where there's just this power in her gaze, and she has such a memorable face, and she she just, they they feel like they belong together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have such great chemistry. Definitely. Um, I'm gonna look up that actress's name because and i, feel I was already I looking at it, it. Uh, yes. and andrea riceborough andrea riceborough yeah she's just very like she's not the typical like hollywood kind of bombshell i would liken her appearance to more of like a tilda swinton almost yeah um, I see that. yes it very much and I kind of think it fits in that, like, heavy metal rock and roll kind of vibe of this movie. Because, like, when you think of, like, the really iconic glam rock stars and heavy metal stars, um, like David Bowie and uh, Janis Joplin, and I'm thinking more 70s, but this film is more in the 80s, um, they, they have the, they embrace the beauty of what society doesn't normally typically uplift. Because it's, I feel like there's an engagement that goes beyond, like, sexual carnal desire and it goes more into just the innate beauty of human nature and the uniqueness that we all have in our facial structures Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. And I, I just appreciate that beauty much more. Because, like, Mandy doesn't talk very much in this movie. But, and, like, I was thinking about it. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Sharon Tate, Margot Robbie character doesn't talk a lot, too. So why does it bug me there but not here? And here it just feels like there's a power that is given to her that is beyond just sexualizing her or framing her as, like, this object that moves through a space. Mm-hmm. She feels... Well, and the other like, thing... Is when she talks, she doesn't have to say very much, but you listen to every word she's saying. Yeah, like, like the any time like she and Red are having conversations, like there's the story that she tells about her dad and how her dad made her friends all kill starlings, and like she refused and ran away, and um. And then, like, when she describes planets and, you know, all just all the sweet moments that she has with Red, too, like, on top of that, like, you just listen to her. And, like, like there's a very, like, specific way that they frame her in the movie that you that makes you pay attention to her and, like, what yeah. she has to say, even if she doesn't She's say very much. She's always the center of the yeah. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. it um, gives a nice contrast to the villain of the film, who is very loud and commands attention from everyone. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, basically he's a whiny little bitch because he stands up and is like, pay attention to me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, that's, I feel like that's a very nice contrast between those yeah. those two characters. Yeah. So the um the beginning of the film that we just kind of described of her and Nicolas Cage that's like a chapter um that's like the shadowy mountains or uh, the shadow of the mountains I'm trying to remember cuz they have like there this film is in like three parts and the first part is the shadow of the mountain and it's just establishing these two characters Mandy and Red. Mhm. Um yeah, so then like after that there is this cult Basically, it's like basically a Manson fa- family. Um, this guy mm-hmm. named Jeremiah leads this group of like um, evangelical zealots, basically. And he's like, you know, God has spoken to me and God chose me and I get to do whatever I want because God told me I can. And so he sees Mandy at her work one day and he's like, she's hot. I want her. Um, so he asks his cult to kidnap her. And to help them, they summon a group of demon bikers, <laughs> which is yeah amazing. It's it's amazing, very nonsensical, but like then again, a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie doesn't need to make sense for you to still feel the weight of it. Yeah, um, like that's just like how the world of this movie works. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing about the um the more dramatic elements that I would describe in this movie is I think this movie could collapse and not be as effective if they didn't treat it so damn seriously. Mm -hmm. Like there is not a smidge of sarcasm or beating around the bush when it is presenting these like ancient artifacts and ancient biker demons. Like they're not like biker demons. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is a different vibe. It's just, no, this is the world. These are the biker demons. I am taking this seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, I like how it can have corny elements like that, but it doesn't have to lampshade itself, you know? A lot of, like, modern horror movies kind of tend to do that, of like, uh, look how silly we're being. Isn't that ridiculous? And, like, this movie just does, it's like, yeah, it already knows that this is silly, so, like, it doesn't need to point it out. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we've got biker demons. Let's move it, on. It's silly in concept, but the execution of it is kind of terrifying, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, like, well, just that's absurdism is one of my favorite art forms, and it is so easy to fuck up because absurdism is a lot of nonsense, but it kind of is meant to reflect the nonsense of life. Mm-hmm. Like, there are so many things we know to be true and feel to be true and know are true that make absolutely zero sense. Yeah. And the way that this film plays up the absurdity while treating it so damn seriously mm-hmm. is so effective. I, I enjoy it very much. I don't know. It's more surreal than absurd, I would say. Yeah. Because I don't think the point is like, wow, life sure is weird, ain't it? It's more these emotions are so powerful that they go beyond reason, yeah. I think. 
that's how I feel well, about it. Well, yeah. it also lends to the fact that, like, the movie is very dreamlike. Like, everything is happening in, in, like, this weird moment of the brain where, like, like, like you said, Kai, like, in, in the moment you, like, get caught up in it, you can't even remember a lot of it, but it still feels very heavy and serious, like, like, if you have a, a like, a, a nightmare and then you wake up and you're like, that was kind of silly, but, like, it still felt really, like, real, and so, like, yeah. you still, like, take it seriously, especially, like, when you first wake up. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good comparison. Yeah, so this group decides to invade Red and Mandy's home and they like give Mandy these drugs and which like they sting her with this wasp, like this big old bug and they let it sting her. And I guess that's like a a drugging effect. Um it's yeah. really kind of f- freaky. Yeah, the yeah that was probably the most cringy part of the movie for me. And there's a lot of well, I mean, shit they like movie. hold her eyes open and put like I don't know, like these like drug saline drops in her eyes, and then on top of that, then they also sting her. And the lady that does it is like, I call that the cherry on top. It's like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then they so they bring her to meet Jeremiah and he's like hey you know you're so beautiful and you belong with me and then he proceeds to like play her the song that he wrote <laughs> and he's it's like, like the it- lamest song well and of course he introduces it by being like yeah you heard of the Carpenters I'm a big fan but this is better than the Carpenters mm-hmm. and, I'm and like, then it's wow, like dude. his his like singing and his band it's like this sucks <laughs> Yeah, it's just, like, the most, like, bland, hippie kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and this is why I highly recommend watching the movie first. Because if you just describe the plot, like, it just sounds like he's being braggadocious, which he is. But the language in which they use to go from, like, one story beat to the next is downright Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. Like, just hearing the texture of the words on these very, very talented mm-hmm. actors' mouths is so deeply satisfying. Yeah. It's like what I imagine people who like ASMR get when they listen to a really the good tinglies. ASMR. I don't know. I don't okay, listen to ASMR. Okay, listen. The This movie, like, gives me an ASMR response when I watch it. Like, Like, the sound design of it, like, especially just, like, the kind of, like the white noise and the distortion of voices just like it sends a chill down my spine mm-hmm. like it's so good well and i was going to say there's just one visual part where he's like going up to mandy and saying god has chosen me so i get to pick whatever i want and do whatever i want where her face and his face like seamlessly blend in and out of each other but they don't use like practical effects to like morph the face they use like these very subtle layering effects while also like cueing in the lighting mm-hmm. and matching up the pupils it's such good so editing good yeah. framing it's like you barely notice it until it's happening well the acting too because neither ni- i when we were watching it i noticed like neither of them blink at all mm-hmm. during that scene and he gives this huge monologue and i'm like man that's that's dedication yeah and it really adds like it's such a subtle choice, but it adds so much to his characterization mm-hmm. that, like, oh, and and I guess to both of them, like this confrontation that, like, they're just having a conversation, but neither of them are blinking, and you can just feel the intensity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also I will say in a lot of um, rape revenge movies, usually in the moment of assault, because this they are assaulting Mandy, but there's usually a moment where she is like i hate to say it just a victim they are just a body that they are hurting Mm -hmm. in most rape revenge movies like i spit on your grave like it's just a moment of pure pain that's what it is but this movie feels different in the way mandy responds and the way mandy remains mandy the entire Mm -hmm. time she's never at least to me never just a body that is or a victim she's not just this nameless face she is constantly herself Mm -hmm. and i think that that provides this movie a lot more power than a lot of other revenge movies where like the brutalization of the women is the 
the impetus for the mm-hmm. plot. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I'm thinking of it, and like, yeah, the they like very obviously did assault her and like drug her, and like he masturbates in front of her and then screams at everyone, "Don't look at me!" While she's like laughing at him. Oh yeah, so that's yes, her response. That's my favorite yes. scene in the whole movie. He like takes off his robe that he's wearing and just you get a full, full front- on frontal nudity. Yeah. And he's just like ready. He wants to have sex with her, and she just laughs right in his face. And mm-hmm. that's like the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> she just. And what's great too? Oh, sorry. No, oh, I was just gonna say, like, you know, it really points out like how pathetic he is, and and mm-hmm. you don't. She doesn't even need to say anything. She just laughs, and like he yeah. did it. Well, like she. There, there's a moment where she's like, you wrote this song? And he's like, yeah, don't you like it? And then she starts laughing. Yeah. <laughs> it's Which is so smart, too, because she takes down his entire identity and his entire monologue in two sentence, two sentences and one action. Mm-hmm. You, you wrote this song. This is your work. This is what you have to show me. And then this song is about you. This is who you are as an essence. And then she just fucking laughs at him. Mm-hmm. And it's just... I think, like, we've been talking a while, especially on our American Horror Story podcast, about this, like, accidental romanticization of serial killers. This, this so takes him down in the mm-hmm. best way possible. It's so mm-hmm. simple and so effective. Like, you you don't need very much to, like, show that this guy is just, like, a piece of shit and, like, super pathetic and, like, that all of the stuff that he's spouting is bullshit. It, 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 like it does not take very much and like it's so genius yeah and one thing i do want to mention too the actor who plays jeremiah what is his name i'm trying to remember linus roach he is incredible in this performance mm-hmm. it takes a lot of guts to be as vulnerable as he is in this role especially as the villain Mm -hmm. it takes so like he is fully frontal in multiple scenes he is embarrassing himself Uh, like the character is supposedly embarrassing himself and he goes for it in every Mm -hmm. scene no holes barred there is not a shred of like inauthenticity about this performance he goes there Mm -hmm. so does everyone in this film and I think that's what makes this work yeah this movie every, every single person just like just like it goes for it like no no restraint no like you know kind of you know trying to calculate basically what you have to do in the circumstance that you're put in it's just like they just go for it like that like because this movie is kind of all feeling you like you need like that from your actors and the fact that they got that and they got it so well from everyone just like it blows me away like (laughs) so good i agree yeah uh so after she laughs at him he gets really pissed off and he brings her outside to where red is tied up and he kills her in front of him he like kills her by setting her on fire Mm-hmm. Um, she's like in a body bag so like you don't actually yeah. get yeah. to see her suffering you just see the body bag kind of moving around which I think in essence is probably better that we don't see her like really suffering just because like I in in my eyes like I feel like that it, it, it could take away from the idea that she's you know as independent and as powerful as she is um but they, but then again, like they also just like kill her, and then like she's not in the movie anymore, and that makes me sad. <laughs> well, I mean, her presence is still there, though. Yeah, the, he has a lot of flashbacks to her, and and yeah. like you definitely feel her presence throughout the whole film, even yeah. after she gets killed. Yeah, and I will say about this movie, there is, you know, the typical Hollywoodish style of expression of male pain with violence. Mm-hmm. But this one, I also appreciate in the moment where Mandy is killed, we are focused entirely on Nicolas Cage's anguish, which he is bearing without restraint. Mm -hmm. He is crying. And the moment is silent, too. Like, we don't actually hear him cry. Mm -hmm. We just see it. And it's it's so heartbreaking to watch. He's so... It stops me in my throat every time I watch that scene. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then on on top of that then you also have you know the camera cutting to all of the cult members and they're all like laughing and cheering because they're you know burning mandy alive and like just like that kind of like the juxtaposition between like red crying and then everyone else like laughing and just the extreme like the sinister this i don't the what's the noun for sinister because that's what it, it just felt sinister and like how viciousness yes that um <laughs> it just it, it it like you can tell just from that like I mean, like, it's just very effective, and, like, the, well, just, like, the, 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 the way that, like, basically the, the juxtaposition between, like, the emotions in this movie are just extremely effective, is what I'm trying to say. I agree. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, we've seen the brutalization of women too many times in film. We, we, it, it hate, I hate to say it because... Part of me thinks there's just no power in it anymore. There's no catharsis unless it's a very special ex- exception. But like, if I saw Mandy burned alive, I don't think it would have been as effective as seeing her laugh at him and then see Red's pain. Yeah, because I know what's happening under that cloth. I've seen it a million times in a mm-hmm. million different films. Yeah, but I have never seen such palpable anguish, like felt from the people who they leave behind. Yeah. That yeah. that that does like separate it from a lot of other like movies that are kind of like this is that like it's not really focused on the the pain of the woman who it's being done to it's more about the the fact that like you have wronged someone and therefore you need to get your um comeuppance for it basically yeah like like not not only like did you like kill someone but like you left behind someone who is in like absolute you know despair over it and they're going to do anything they can to make sure that you know that you fucked up and that's great <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah, the, so then we get to the, the next, the third act of the movie, which is when we finally get our title card. Man, yeah. And it's in that, like, death metal kind of unreadable font, <laughs> so the, which I love. Yeah, so we also, of course, we have to talk about the scene following her death, where he goes inside. Um, Cheddar and he Goblin. Goes to the, Oh, well, that, I was thinking about the bathroom scene, but yeah, we can talk about Cheddar Goblin. Cheddar Um, Goblin comes first, and it's, like, just kind of, like, this really weird, like, scene that doesn't really make sense why they put it it there, but I think- It makes zero sense, but, like- I think mainly just, like, to, to, they put that there just kind of to keep, like, he, like- life is going on outside of what just happened and then like he just goes back into it and it's like i can't let this fucking you know go on for like as if nothing happened i mean it's like I... go ahead go ahead oh i'm i'm done <laughs> so the for i guess like my interpretation of that is like just more juxtaposition so, like, you have this man who's in so much suffering and, and like, feeling this huge amount of emotion. And then you have it, you show this, um, like, soulless commercial, basically. So, like, I guess for context, the movie takes place in the 80s. And this very much feels like an 80s commercial, except it's, mm-hmm. like, way over the top. It's got, like, these little puppet goblin creatures that look like gremlins and these just like heaps and heaps of mac and cheese and like <laughs> they're these they're children like who are, up the mac and yeah, cheese on these children yeah and these children are just like screaming with joy and it's like so artificial and four times more cheddar that, than like i think macaronis like, <laughs> it just makes a nice contrast like yeah um, you know you have this guy who's feeling something super traumatic and then you juxtapose it with like this really artificial 
over the top like commercial mm-hmm. i agree with that i i think it's the it's the brain kind of coming down in a way back to earth back to reality after trauma like you just see things and you kind of are reminded oh yeah this is the world mm-hmm. yeah I also want to note that the Cheddar Goblin commercial was directed by the guy who did Too Many Cooks. Yep. God fucking bless. Ah, uh, it's so good. That is it, yeah. yet another cinematic masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um... So yeah, and then but then we get to the scene. The scene, yeah, the one that everyone seems to meme, but like it's too powerful to just be a meme. Yeah, it's like one of those in a in a poorly directed movie. It would be like one of those Nick Cage memes, like the not mm-hmm. the bees or whatever, like all the stuff that we quote. But like this movie is so well directed that it actually hits really hard. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and it's just such a raw display of emotion. So he goes into the bathroom and pulls out a bottle of vodka, which I assume they keep in there to disinfect. Um, so he like, but he just starts chugging it and then he'll take a break and pour it on his wounds. And, and he's like, like screaming. And yeah. He's just and like crying. screaming. He's in his underwear, which just adds to the vibe of that. Like this man is just such a mess, both physically and emotionally. And it's such an interesting display of masculinity in a way because the things he's doing, like I could see dude bros going like, yeah, I chug a chug a bottle of vodka every night. Yeah, I just rock around without my pants. I don't give a shit. But the way this film isn't, it's not being coy about the emotions. It's like, no, he is devastated. This man is wrecked. This man, I don't think he's ever going to come back from this. And it doesn't shy away from these emotions. It's just so honest that, like, I could see this very, in a Nolan film or something, I could see this becoming such a toxically masculine cliche of, like, my wife is dead. But it's just, Nick Cage and the director don't want to shy away from the real pain. Like, it just feels so real and raw and honest, in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I like his on, shirt he... in that scene too. He's wearing just this big old tiger, yeah, tiger. On his shirt, <laughs> and un- unleash the beast at that moment. Let your tiger roar. This, <laughs> which honestly, they do keep referring to him as a beast mm-hmm. in the narrative. Like I think uh, Jeremiah says, like you are a pig, you are a beast with no soul, mm-hmm. uh, you have nothing to offer. And even, I think he kind of refers to himself as Galactus, Eater of Planets. Which, depending on your sources, sometimes that could be kind of a beast metaphor in and of itself. Like a devourer. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But... And then and then the whole thing with the guy with the tiger. And like, they kind of... Yeah. The, the, the scene with the tiger where like... The, the guy's like, oh, you're right. I should let the tiger go. And he does. And, like, all it takes is, like, Red staring at him for a minute. And it's like he's communicating telepathically with this man. It- <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you know, I think I was being a bit um, unfair to the amount of dialogue Mandy has. Because in comparison, Nicholas Cage, like, says maybe... A handful of sentences. Yeah, yeah that's all. That is true. He, it, like the most dialogue he, he gets is like the scenes with Mandy, the scene where he goes to the trailer with that guy to go get like the weapons that he's gonna use, and then yeah. like after that, he only talks like once or twice during a fight with one of the demon bikers and then he doesn't talk anymore until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Which again just shows how damn good a physical yeah. actor he is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Nick. What a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can just see it like in his face and stuff. You can tell exactly what he's feeling. He doesn't need to say anything. He doesn't need to drop any like witty one liners or whatever. He's yeah. just out for revenge, and those fight scenes are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the... And honestly, that is... Oh, oh no, you're good. 
I was going to say, the rest of the movie is just him taking revenge on all the people. Like, first he goes after the bikers, then he goes after Jeremiah's followers, then he goes after Jeremiah, mm-hmm. and he does kill them all, and at the end of the movie, he drives off. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, like, after the scene where he's, like, screaming in the bathroom is, like, when he decides to go to the trailer of, I think, I don't remember specifically who this guy is but i think it's an old co-worker of his um and like he gets um like a crossbow from the guy and then he's like so and then the guy's like oh i made some stuff if you want to use them and then he's like he like pulls out like some like arrows he he says these babies can cut through bone like a fat kid through cake <laughs> And oh and then like you know we have another moment of like red basically like you know talking to this guy about like what happens like he, like they killed her these Jesus freaks and like I loved know, that the, line. Well, the when guy's he goes not in, even... he's like he's just like I need a crossbow, and the guy's like, oh, what are you hunting? And he's like, Jesus freaks. Well, <laughs> that really there's got a me. very there's a very like specific line that he has about how he came back for it so i feel like he gave up hunting like because he like was with mandy and now that he's like done with that like now that she's gone he's like gonna use that skill now to get back at people it's good i like i like the like the the thought process that i'm getting behind like some of the lines that i've been catching (laughs) in a lesser movie um, after he had that breakdown scene, he would have been stoic the whole time. Mm-hmm. But even in this trailer, the second he starts to talk about it, he breaks down. Yeah. yeah. Again. And I think that is really such a good character choice. Yeah. And such a good acting moment from him. Because even though he's saying these lines that are kind of objectively ridiculous, it's just, it still has so much yeah. power. Yeah. He starts crying again at one point because, like, he, I think he, like, gets handcuffed to like a pipe in the the biker the demon demon bikers like hideout or whatever that's kind of near where he's going um and like the the demon biker i don't remember specifically what the demon biker says because it's very distorted but i i know it's something about mandy and then and then red goes i don't want to talk about that and he's like fixing to cry about it and then, like, the guy gets close enough that he just starts beating the shit out of him with the pipe because he breaks it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Very good scene. It's so good. Well, we also need to talk about the chainsaw fight because that is yes. iconic. Oh, oh, my God. And, and See, the fact I that was... he, like, forged that axe with, like, the spear oh, at the yeah. end. Oh, that axe. The iconic axe. The iconic weapon of the mm-hmm. film. Every iconic horror character needs their own iconic weapon yeah yes but at one point he and this other guy just like duel with chainsaws and it's Mm -hmm. amazing it's like near the end of the movie like right before he goes to confront jeremiah at the church um they like like this one guy he basically like just like picks up this huge ass chainsaw it's like ridiculously long and there's like no reason it's like for... at least six feet long yeah there's like no reason for anyone to own a chainsaw that long for well if you're in the logging recreation... yeah yeah i was gonna like, say he's I... probably in the logging industry like yeah but like i'm not entirely sure where like unless like they got it from like a site that was near there which is plausible because red is a logger um i i just i don't know where the cultists got it it's just kind of (laughs) there i mean i'm not gonna try to apply logic to it yeah i mean this also like at a certain point um nick cage takes some drugs to help him in his fight i guess and like from there the rest of the film's just like this drug-induced haze Oh, he like. What's great too is during the fight, he like picks up a handful of cocaine, snorts it. That's not the thing that gets like a little fun drug montage. It's this weird gray goop that the bikers have been drinking this whole Mm -hmm. time. And he does like like... puts one dab on it, one dab on his finger, puts it on his tongue, then his face melts. He sees a vision of the place he needs to go to figure out where the children are. 
and then I think his face melts again. Yeah. And then it, like, comes back, and, like, for the rest of the movie, his pupils are, like, 100% dilated. It's it's very... It's so like, good. It's, it's really good. Well, and I think there's a moment where they, like... This is where I get a little fuzzy with the plot, because they... I thought they were demons because they're summoned by these ancient magics, but then the Nick Cage's friend um, who gave him the weapons described them as like bikers who eventually got like a really, really, really fucked up batch of LSD and now they're like really, really addicted to pain. They're LSD um, demons. Cinnabites. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess I just don't question it too much. Like, they seem so supernatural. I think like there. Just... How many are there? There are four. I don't yes. remember. There's like three or four of them. I'm trying to remember because, like, if it's four, there's like probably a specific reason for that. Um, <gasps> he has a shirt saying "44." No, that's probably not the reason. Oh. Well, um, the, the sh- I wasn't thinking about the shirt. I was thinking about like the the um, the application of like. Um, like the four horsemen yeah like the four horsemen yeah. of the apocalypse um and like the the bringers of destruction by god and like all all of that and like how the other okay another thing i want to talk about is how red has uh tattoos of demons on his arms um that's cool those are some <laughs> sick tattoos also because it's not like they the really are cartoon pointy horn like devil kind of demon that you see a lot no, it's, it's like legit like demons with like six legs Mm -hmm. it's like a it's like a five-legged demon i actually like pulled up the wikipedia article that i found the picture of that was referencing the the tattoo because i was like i've seen that picture before and i wasn't sure what so i googled five-legged demon and it came up and the demon is actually um in like demonology representation of logic so interesting yeah um it's a it's i'm not entirely sure what like the i'm i'm like i'm like sure of that there is like supposedly supposed to be some kind of commentary on the church and like you know the people who contradict the church and how like the church is kind of like shitty to people who just kind of want to live their lives and like not want to deal with anything else um but like there's a lot there to unpack and like trying to apply like all kinds of stuff is really hard but like i know it's there (laughs) yeah i mean this is like one of those movies and i feel like i always end up saying this but like this is one of those movies i just don't try to search for meaning in like i'm so much more caught up in the just emotional experience that i'm like i don't really care too much about the commentary but i do think there's some of that there like just the yeah. setting, even, that it's, like, the early 80s, Reagan era. Like, when he's driving home from work, he hears Reagan on the radio. And, like, mm-hmm. the Reagan era is when all the crazy evangelicals came out of the woodworks. And oh, and that's when the satanic panic was happening. Yeah, so, like, they started there's... the satanic panic and, like, really screwed up yeah. a lot of people's lives. And mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's one of the benefits of committing to this heavy metal aesthetic is that you have to feel and visually portray everything at 110%, so there's so much meaning you can garner from so many things, because a lot of these things garner so many powerful emotions, like feelings about religion, feelings about love, Mm -hmm. feelings about... There's a lot of sexual imagery, too. Like, so much phallic imagery. (laughs) Especially in the way that Nick Cage kills (laughs) people. Like, the dueling chainsaws, Mm -hmm. are we we Mm -hmm. kidding here? (laughs) But it also doesn't feel like grossly masculine in the way i i could see it happening in other films like Mm -hmm. it doesn't put me off i'm like this is an interesting commentary it's not like masculinity bad or masculinity good it's like here it is Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah it's like it's like masculinity of like protecting one's own and like versus like the toxic masculinity of other other stuff yeah. you know of jeremiah who like thinks yeah. that everyone should worship the ground he walks on and yeah um yeah and um oh what i was get what was i gonna say oh you can glean like even like meaning from like the wardrobe that red and mandy have both because like 
during the beginning of the movie and like there there's like two different outfits that she has one of them is like I think it's a Slayer shirt and it's like a pentagram on her shirt and then the other one is literally just like Black Sabbath like <laughs> oh because when she, she's wearing so like there's this older lady who's it's like a Motley Crue right so there's this older lady who's in the uh cult so she goes to the gas station to like scope things out um mm-hmm. before they go and attack Mandy and when she's in the gas station she's just like I like your shirt and Mandy just like stares at her like why the hell are you talking to me <laughs> and I relate so hard as someone who works in retail <laughs> yeah it was really funny it's interesting um this is something i'm interested in the film about why it chose to do this because there are two women in the cult one is a younger woman who is very wide-eyed kind of bambi-ish um who seems very quiet and very complacent in the the like there's one scene where jeremiah says do you want to see real love and he um puts one bullet in a gun and hands it to her and she fires it at her head and luckily it's a blank because there was only one but she just has this side relief. She just seems like such a deeply broken person. But then you have this older woman who is not given that same level of sympathy, I think, probably because she's been there longer and she's been more integrated into the Mm -hmm. cult. But it's just, it's interesting who this film chose to to portray as sympathetic within the cult. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, like, so much of this cult is based in real life, like, even though the movie is not necessarily based in real life, like, compared to the Wicker Man remake that we watched last week, which, like, a lot of... Oh, yeah. I do love a lot of horror movies that are about cults. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the original Wicker Man. I like Midsommar. But, like, they all kind of have this same imagery that, like... I guess, like, first of all, borrows very heavily from pagan imagery. Um like people wearing old-fashioned clothes and like you know dancing around a maypole and like that's not really what cults look like anymore no like i'm sure there are some like that but like even in the 70s that's not really totally what they looked like yeah Um, and i think the cult in mandy is a lot more realistic um you know it's just this guy who convinces a bunch of people to follow him and Mm -hmm. um manipulates them and you know thinks he can get away with everything and and like that is what a cult is mm-hmm. but i think like well and i do think that the um inclusion of christian imagery is very apt too because a lot of the modern cults wrap themselves around christianity oh, for sure. like it's not just yeah. yeah these random gods it's like nope i'm jesus yeah. now yeah like you know yeah oh or they'll fuck i just remembered a line their... about sorry go ahead Oh, no, you go ahead. Oh, you said something about Jesus, and I immediately remembered the line, like, when they're burning Mandy, where he's like, the, you know, Jesus' mistake was not offering a sacrifice to God, which, like, is really fucked up. Jesus was the sacrifice, bro. He was, yeah, like, first off, he was the sacrifice. Second off, like, mm. But that shows how much he thinks he's so much better than Jesus. Yeah, it's like that shows his (laughs) mindset Mm -hmm. that, like, you know, he believes like he is God, basically, and like that that like his ideals are violence, and Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's projecting that onto Jesus, who is a very peaceful figure. Yeah. So I think that shows so much about this guy's mindset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I like totally derailed the conversation. No, I think I that's a good that. point. No, you did not because you know, like <laughs> we're chugging. You know that this guy would never sacrifice himself. Like, there's nothing Christ-like about him at all. Like, no. you know, at the end of the movie when he's about to die, he's like begging for his life and. Yeah, and then he, like, immediately backpedals, and he's like, no, you will bow before me. And then (laughs) Nick Cage, in his most distorted, demonic voice, goes, I'm your god now, and squishes the fuck out of his head. (laughs) And that's that's my favorite thing in the whole movie, is that he doesn't use any of the weapons that he was given to kill Jeremiah. He uses his bare fucking hands, and then he sets his body on fire. Ugh, so good. I really i think my interpretation of this movie changed when i saw a video essay about it i wish i'd watched it recently but i hadn't 
Um, for me, I see, I interpret this film as like a really great expression of grief mm-hmm. because it doesn't offer any solutions. It's just being within this situation where something horrible has happened to you. Someone you love has been taken away. From what I heard, I think the director's parents had recently passed. And just this, this, I don't want to say wallowing in the bad term, but like we all wallow. Sure. We all just experience We sit in our feelings. And to me, that's what this, this film is. Like he's moving from location to location, but you don't feel like he's getting catharsis. Yeah. You just feel like he's suffering. And like, as the film goes on, they even say like, you're covered in darkness. And honestly, I kind of love that ambiguity Mm -hmm. because he's just. Like, he's not writing any wrongs, and the movie's not pretending like he's making anything better. He's just experiencing this pain, and seeing someone go through that is so cathartic. Yeah, because I think that, you know, a lot of movies um, have a very, like, noble portrayal of grief. Yeah. That, you know, the one sad tear, or, like, the I'll be strong and move on, and it's like this, sometimes grief is really ugly. Yeah. And it's not always, like, you know clean or like something that you can overcome mm-hmm. immediately um, especially or if something the grief... that you can be at peace with sometimes it makes you feel angry or yeah um some of those darker emotions and yeah. i think that that's that should be acknowledged yeah and i i feel like that especially applies if the grief has been forced upon you by someone else you know Mm-hmm. Like, 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 if someone murders, like, your wife or your best friend or anything like that, someone close to you, you're gonna feel like you want revenge for that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel that, but then there's, I don't know, there's also this vibe for me of, like, this out-of-controlness, both within himself and within his circumstance. Like, there's no way he could have seen this coming, there's no way mm-hmm. he could have stopped it. Mm-hmm. It's just this whirlwind. And I do think that's how tragedy feels, no matter what the circumstances are. It's this whirlwind that you just get caught up in. And no matter how you respond, you can't escape it. You're in it now. And But the one thing I... I don't know, because, like, I don't want to get all doom and gloom here, but there is one moment at the end that isn't exactly, like, a happy ending. But, like, after he's burnt down the church with Jeremiah, he's killed everyone, he gets in his car... And he drives. And there's this moment where I think, for, for me, it seems like it's flashing back to the moment where he meets Mandy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he, at first, Nicolas Cage is in this very, like, washed out lighting. Like, it is not at all the neon vibrancy that has been present this whole film. Then he looks up and he sees Mandy and their eyes meet. And there's this, like, connection where she smiles at him. And he's just, like, the lighting around him changes to these reds and blues and greens. And they're just locked in each other's mm-hmm. gaze. And to me, it's a memory of him, like, seeing her for the first time and just being caught up in her energy. Yeah. And rather than Jeremiah wanting to possess it, he just, he's just in awe of it. Mm. And then it cuts back to the present where he's in his car looking at the passenger seat and Mandy is there looking back at him. And he just has this madness smile that is funny in the moment and always makes me smile. But it's also just this, I don't know, it's this maddening grief because even though when you lose someone and you lose something it's still a part of you. Mm-hmm. But not just the good parts. The pain of losing them is always going to be a part of you. Yeah, The madness of like always having them there but not having them there is a part of you. It's all this big, messy clump that's just with yeah. you. But it's all rooted in love, so it just feels so sincere and authentic. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love it, even though it's painful. Yeah. 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 I want to I wanna also point out that like there's a line earlier... Where one of the bikers, like, gets his shirt all dirty or, like, rips it up. And he, like, screams, that's my favorite shirt. And then later on, you see, like, in that flashback, like, when he's in the car, that he's wearing that shirt. And, I, like, like that is very much, like, supposed to be the the first moment that he met Mandy. Like, it's his favorite shirt because that's the shirt that he was wearing when he met her. Like, it makes me, like, want to cry so much thinking about it. I think she was wearing it when she was being, um, quote-unquote indoctrinated yeah. by, um, Jeremiah, yeah. too. Yeah. <sighs> well, we are approaching the hour mark. Um, yeah, I feel like I could talk about this movie for a lot longer, but I know it's getting late. So do we have any last thoughts? 
it's a good movie you should watch it it's so good <laughs> i treasure the exp- i don't actually watch this movie a lot like i wouldn't describe it as a go-to yeah. but i because i think i need to put aside my phone when i watch this movie mm. i have to have my full attention on it and my eyes just drink in the imagery and i'm just oh i love it so much and both of you i loved everything you guys had to say because it was so different than the things i was thinking but it was all like i was like yeah that makes sense oh my god that's a really good analysis like there's just so much here and it's just i love it yeah i like that we all like picked different parts of the movie to think about like like a, a lot of the times i'll like go into this movie just like watching it for the emotional aspect just like y'all do but like i the the more i watch this movie the more i'm like there's something more there that i like i'm not getting on my first or second view and so like i'll go back and watch it and just like find something new every every time and like this time for the most part it was like the wardrobe and like the things that mandy talks about and like how important those are to like the story as a whole and like Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah (sighs) it's just such a good film it's so refreshing after last week to talk about like a good movie Mm -hmm. oh god yes thank thank oh man i want to watch the taste of the and then, I think this was one of the first movies that um, kind of brought back Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. yeah. into the modern zeitgeist. Because before we were all like, oh yeah, the B guy. Uh-huh. Now we're like, wait, he still got it. Yeah. He never lost it. Yeah, I mean, like, the the only thing that, like, was going bad for him was that, like, he was only getting roles in, like, movies that weren't that good. But he was still trying to, like, do his best in them, which, like... I don't know. It, it made his performances seem odd because no, like in my opinion, a lot of the movies that he was in didn't really give a crap about what he was trying to do. Yeah. Well, and um, with Nicolas Cage, he's in a shit ton of debt. Yeah. Like he, I don't know if he has a gambling problem or. Oh, it's because he know bought. Why. All I know is he's in so he much bought debt. Too many freaking houses. He bought like a legit castle in Germany. Um. Yeah. And he's then just he, eccentric. Like, his... <laughs> He got in trouble for, like, tax stuff because he wasn't paying taxes on his homes, which, like, he blamed his business manager or something. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he just took whatever roles came his way for a really long time. Yeah. I can understand. Oh, yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Yeah. Like, that explains the Wicker Man. (laughs) Let me just be honest right there. Well, the Wicker Man, he he had liked the he was a fan of the original, so I do think he actually had like a passion for that project. But like, yeah, no, I yeah. feel like the director okay. at oh, least maybe didn't. Just in my dreams. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I want to talk about: um, the composer of this movie sadly yes. passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking up his name because I forgot. Johan, your you. Oh yeah, yeah Johan. Yeah, I Johan was Jorgensen Johansson. for whatever reason. I don't know who I'm thinking of, but it's Johansson. Yeah, mm-hmm. my bad. Um, so he also did the music for Arrival and uh, a lot of movies, and he did an yeah. amazing job with the score. And then sadly, he passed away after this movie came out. Yeah. So the film is dedicated to him. Um. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout-out, because his score adds so much to the emotions of this film. Absolutely. It's the atmospheric, like, sounds in in the soundtrack for this movie. Just, it's so good. And like I said, it it gives me tingles down my spine when I listen to it. Just, like, Mm -hmm. it's so good. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for talking about this movie with me and uh thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in if you want to hear more from us you can find us on twitter at netflix underscore in underscore kill or on patreon where we will gladly accept any donations Mm -hmm. that you feel like throwing our way um we have some cool benefits out there too you get access to the episodes early um we have bonus episodes 
Yeah. So be sure to check that out. Mm -hmm. mm, I'm trying to think of a good way to close us um, out, man. You know, May Your Nightmares Be Plentiful is actually pretty fitting for this film. Yes. Mm -hmm. May Your Nightmares Be Plentiful. Mm -hmm.